0: Welcome to the Interview Chair. My name is Jimmy Casas, and I am your host. Are you an educator who is currently feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, or wondering if you can continue to do this work? Visualize yourself back in the Interview Chair. You were genuine, sincere, and full of passion. You convinced the group of people that you were the best person for the job, and you believed it. That is the real you. Thank you for joining me as I take you back to the interview chair to remind you of why you wanted to become an educator. Welcome to episode 29 of the interview chair, Just Don't Quit. Culturize every student, every day, whatever it takes. I published Culturize in 2017 and since then it has sold almost 270,000 copies worldwide. I am honored and grateful for the success of my book and the thousands of educators who have told me countless stories of how my books have profoundly impacted not only their practices, but also their careers and their lives. In this episode, I wanted to go back to the interview chair and revisit a couple of critical stories taken from the introduction of Culturize and the conclusion of Live Your Excellence to remind all of you to continue to strive to be that person. The very best version of you. I still remember the day my baseball coach stopped by my house to pick up my uniform. I had quit the team out of frustration because I wasn't playing as much as I thought I should be. I'd been successful at every level I had ever played, and I was the starting center fielder and leadoff hitter for our varsity team until an injury took me out of the lineup. I didn't want to quit, but as a 17-year-old kid... I lacked the social and emotional skills and maturity to work through this low point in my life on my own. After all, I was healthy again, and I felt I deserved to have my starting spot back. Instead, I watched game after game from the bench. My parents, who were angry about me not playing more, were also not in the best place mentally or emotionally to help me work through my dilemma. Quitting seemed to be the easiest way out and they didn't try to, be, to dissuade me. The doorbell rang, and I peered through the window to make sure it was him before I opened the door. I remember wishing that my coach would put his arm around me and tell me a story about how him knowing how I felt because he, too, had been in a similar situation as a boy. I wanted him to tell me he understood why I was frustrated and then apologize for never talking to me about why I was no longer playing. I wanted him to tell me he wasn't going to let me quit. I wanted him to show me that he cared about me, cared enough to tell me to keep my uniform and that he would see me at practice that afternoon. But the words, they never came. Instead, he reached out and grabbed my uniform, shook his head, turned, and walked away. I was devastated. And I remember going straight to my room and crying. Why wouldn't he just talk to me, I kept asking myself. It's been almost 40 years since that interaction took place on my front doorstep, but it still serves as an important reminder to me and my work as a school leader to not underestimate how critical it is to take time to talk to students and understand what they see, what they feel, and what they experience, and most importantly, to never, ever quit on them. I can honestly say that most of what I've learned from working with students has come from, well, you guessed it, talking with and listening to students. My experience working in schools over 30 years has taught me that most of the conversations had by adults in schools today are barely scratching the surface or worse, come packaged with a tone that reflects an adult-centered culture. In many cases, we adults sometimes avoid interacting with students altogether, either because we're too busy or we're not sure what to say, or sometimes we're even afraid of saying the wrong thing, just like my baseball coach did. This leaves students walking school hallways every day feeling invisible and wishing someone would just take the time to talk to them in a genuine and caring way. In the early 90s, I was working at an inner-city middle school. It was not the type of school where all of the parents dropped them off at the door and waited eagerly that evening to hear about their day. No, most of these preteens got themselves out of bed and boarded a city bus at the crack of dawn. One school year, I became personally invested in one of my students. His name was Justin. As a sixth grade teacher, I was drawn to a story based on what he, the social worker, and the school administration had shared with me. I knew his dad was not in the picture and his mom had her own significant challenges that she was trying to deal with at the time. I had convinced myself that it was my calling to save Justin and other students who were facing significant challenges from their environment. I was determined to make a difference, and I truly believed that I could. Truth be told, Justin did not make a high school commencement speech thanking me for all of my valiant efforts. In fact, Justin did not even graduate. Instead, he went to prison. And over the years, I observed and tried to counsel other teachers and administrators on the perils of trying to go down that dangerous road of trying to save all kids. I understood the reasons for wanting to do it, and I empathize with them. For many educators, this is our core. It's who we are, and it often defines our entire purpose for becoming an educator. For some of us, it's how we measure our success. Those of you who have a similar motivation may understand why I tried to define my success by how many kids I was impacting in any given year. The problem is I wasn't sure what success really looked like. Impact? How do I measure that? And if you would have asked me back in the early 90s, I would have told you I lost Justin. I lost him to the streets, to drugs, to the gangs, and to the system and eventually prison. I reconnected with Justin in high school. I was now building principal and he had reached out to me hoping to get another chance at school. In many ways, he was still that cocky little 11 year old with a million dollar smile that warmed my heart whenever I looked at him. He reminded me so much of myself at that age, I couldn't help but be drawn to him. Yes, he still had a lot of kid in him, but he now was a young man of 16 years of age. He was more guarded now And I saw myself in him. And it reminded me of so many of my own experiences at his age. It was clear to me that Justin had been hardened by the broken promises from the adults in his life. His second tenure in school was short-lived. He couldn't assimilate back into the life of a full-time student and eventually gave up and quit. I remember feeling like I'd let him down, wondering how his life would have been different had I advocated harder for him. In my heart, I felt like, I had failed him. Over the years, although our lives would take us in different directions, causing us to lose touch with one another, I never stopped thinking about him. I mean, how could I? He impacted my life and gave me the tools through our interactions, through our talks, our challenges, to help me become a better teacher, a better principal. Yet that sinking feeling that I had failed him never left me. About 15 years ago, I received a letter in the mail from Justin. He was in prison. His wife had contacted me and gave me a phone number with visiting hours where I could call him. I was nervous and excited at the same time. And when I heard his voice for the first time, all I could see was that face from 6th grade looking at me in class. And after 20 minutes, my spirits had been lifted, a void in my heart filled. He said some things to me that day that made me believe that maybe, just maybe, I had made a small impact. I wish I could tell you that we reconnected that day in a way that brought us back together, you know, teacher and student, fairy tale ending, but it didn't happen. I don't even know why. Maybe we just needed that one final conversation to move on with our lives. The old version of me would have beat myself up over it, but no more. I know this one thing, that during the time I had Justin as a student, I gave him all I had. And there were times I recall being questioned by other teachers and administrators about what I was getting for my return on investment with this kid. Honestly, I wasn't really sure how to answer that question, other than to say that I knew in my heart that someday my efforts would make a difference. I didn't know how, but I believed it. If you've had a similar experience with a student, you get what I'm saying here, right? A relationship with a kid can grab you by the heart and you find yourself not able to let go. Not if you want to leave your mark. And sometimes for teachers, the dividends don't come until much later. When we focus on the now, we often feel like we've been shortchanged, like we didn't make a difference, like we weren't successful. I often think of counselors, right, who work in treatment facilities, like when a patient relapses, has the counselor failed? I mean, I don't think so. As they invest in that relationship, they really are making a difference. Their words make a difference. The coping skills they teach their patients make a difference. The hope that things can be better makes a difference. Counselors, just like educators, well, they must recognize that what they're doing is making a difference in some small way, and that investments in others might not yield a return in some cases until years later. You've experienced it. And then one day, when you least expect it, you get a surprise email from a former student and it warms your heart. Or you run into a family in the grocery store and recognize one of the parents as a former student, and they share a story with you or give you a sincere thank you for everything you did for them. You probably don't remember most of what they remember, but they remember. And sometimes that long-lost student never gives up on you and reaches out in his moment of need and says, I told the pastor there was no, Only one person who has always been there for me when I needed him, and that is you, Mr. Casas. This young man, this survivor, after all of his ordeals, at the age of 39, is asked by his pastor if there is anyone in his life that made an impact on him that could serve as a mentor and be there for him in his darkest moments. Anyone that he would feel comfortable reaching out to. And who does he think of? His teacher from sixth grade. Listen, I don't say that for me. I say it for you, that that could be any one of us. It could be you. Justin and I reconnected via Facebook three years ago. This time, I have vowed things will be different. I will not allow myself to lose touch with him again as long as he wants to have a relationship with me, his former teacher and former principal. He sounds good, healthy, and ready to make the necessary changes in order to avoid any more incarceration. He knows there will be challenges. He admitted to me that he at times is drawn to revert back to the old Justin because with the old Justin comes a reputation that can benefit him. But he also understands that it can hurt him. He has told me that he will not let his past failures define his future success. I don't plan to allow Justin's time in prison to define my impact or my success and I hope you won't allow the past failures of some of your students to define yours either. I know there are days when you question whether it's all worth it or you allow other people's words to influence your thinking on whether or not you can save them all. And in those moments when doubt begins to creep in, remember. There is a Justin out there who just might remind you that on any given day, you can change the course of a student's life through your belief in them and redefine success for not only them, but for yourself. I now know that it wasn't ever my job to save Justin. It was my job to not quit on him the way my baseball coach quit on me. That is what I'm going to ask you to do this school year. Just never quit on a student. If you do, then that student will know it, and so will you. However, by never quitting, you can keep the faith in good conscience that maybe, just maybe, you made a difference. Sometimes you don't realize it until years later. And then one day, a former student reaches out and thanks you for never giving up on them, and immediately, you are reminded again what you said you were going to do for students when you sat in that interview chair. My friends, it is time to recalibrate. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you will join me each week as I take you back to the interview chair, because I know this, that when you sat in that interview chair, that, my friend, was the best version of to check out my website at jimmycostas.com backslash the interview chair.